We're kicking off a brand new series. Believe it or not, we're already in July, and we're kicking off a brand new series entitled Building Mature Disciples. Ironically enough, we spent the entirety of all of our sermon series for this year is about building, and it really just kind of give us a, a clear uh, view point and perspective on what it is that God has called us to uniquely build as a people and the aim and the things that God has called us to uh, toward. And so one of the things that distinguishes Foundation Church, I believe, from many churches in this particular area, and I say that very carefully because I don't mean to imply that we are we got some corner on something that nobody else has and nothing like that. But what I do believe the thing that distinguishes us is that we have a great emphasis on authentic discipleship. It is by far the deep call to fully surrender all areas of our life to Christ. Our focus is less on programs as a people and more about our personal walk with God. And I have discovered that there are too many of believers who are looking to feel better about themselves rather than to die to themselves, which is the call of Christ. He calls us to die to ourselves, which is really ultimately how you obtain real life. And I will hasten to say that I know that many people want joy. They want peace. They want happiness. They want all those things. And Jesus kind of comes on the scene and he kind of explains how to do that. Then the question becomes is, are we going to buy into that? And that's where this whole idea of discipleship comes. And so I believe in some ways and sometimes a commitment to the gospel and the message of discipleship can become somewhat of a hindrance sometimes uh, to even numerical growth or Christians growing because there's a greater desire in our uh, nation. And I believe really it's just a sign. Uh, a greater desire for uh, to be uh, patronized and to be entertained and all of those things than it is to really uh, focus in and hone in on this idea of discipleship. Discipleship, it strikes at the very core of who we are. And so when we talk about this, talk about discipleship, we're talking about a radical change of lifestyle. Now, I find that many people don't have a problem with um, having Jesus as some uh, portion of their life. How many of you have ever heard the, the, the phrase, the terminology, uh, that, that, that I want to make Jesus a part of my life? How many of you have ever heard that? that you know, and, and I would say that no mature Christian ever really thinks that way. No mature disciple. Because as a mature disciple, you understand that you don't make Jesus a part of your life. How many of you know he is your life? And he is to dominate every aspect of our life because we're to die in exchange for his life. So in our church, our vision and our mission is to establish a believer on the found foundation of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. Our mission is to train and equip believers to become mature disciples. And so this is an area for us that we're very, very passionate about. And I believe that many Christians sometimes, watch this, not you with me, say amen. I believe that one of the reasons why many Christians struggle in their relationship with God is because they don't understand the principle of discipleship. Or either they weren't taught discipleship. They were taught to say a few words, to come to church on Sunday and do some great things, which is okay. But how many know 
that discipleship and real closeness with God and maturity, it goes much, much further than that. This has to come back to an effect on who we are as people and who we are as a person. And so uh, discipleship, when we talk about discipleship and spiritual growth, it is not about church attendance. It's not just about participating in a church activity. And most people do that. They think, man, they're growing. They think, man, they're doing great things. It's a necessary thing that we should do. But that's not the scope of what discipleship is. It's not about following traditional standards or doing religious things and activities. It's not about having a form of godliness. It's about being changed and transformed from the inside out. And I believe that when Christians misunderstand or misappropriate, if you will, discipleship, many are or even so-called believers are living conflicted lives. And what I mean when I say conflicted lives, they're conflicted because Christ demands more than they are willing to give. And so they're conflicted because part of us, because how many know that Jesus said that we're lukewarm, his spear is out. So if a person is, no, that, okay, I'm a believer, and, and I'm, if you fully understand this principle, you know, as a believer, you're supposed to give all of your life, the entirety of your life over to Jesus. But if you're one of those who are still saying, yeah, I'm going to give aspects of my life, but I still like doing certain things and I'm not yet ready to relinquish that territory. Then Jesus echoes some words and says that you're not then ready to be my disciple. Because the essence of true disciple is giving of our whole lives unto Jesus. It is not to be uh, portions and parts of our lives, but it is giving the entirety of our lives over to him. And when Christians or so-called Christians don't do that, then they're going to run and they're going to have conflict in their soul. Because how many know that uh, it's either all the way, it's either, how many know you got to go all the way with Jesus? He's never going to be second. We have to be all in. Everybody say all in. We have to be all in. So Christianity then is in discipleship. It's more than a feeling because oftentimes you're going to live your life and your feeling and your emotions are going to be all over the place. It's not about an activity. It's much more than that. It's about understanding your reason and your purpose for living, which is Christ and Christ alone. And this is what the message is that Jesus is conveying in Luke chapter 14. But right before I go into Luke chapter 14, I want to kind of define, because this message today is about defining discipleship. So what I really mean is, and, and I hope you all are listening, because this is one of those messages that, that I believe that is, um, uh, is obviously it's, it's eternal, but it's one of these messages that kind of point Christians in the right direction, help them to understand what it is that once you give your life to Christ, that this discipleship process is something that is ongoing. You know, it's, it's not a, you know, it doesn't just give a life with Jesus. We, we never quite come to a place where we arrive in God, right? It's always this kind of a, it's an ongoing process where we're being, where the old man is being stripped away, you know, and, and it's an ongoing thing and it, and it never, ever stops. And so let me define what discipleship is. I give you kind of a Greek rendering and I only want to say this because it, the Greek verbiage really gives you the true uh, uh, understanding of what uh, being a disciple really is. So how do we define discipleship? The Greek word is mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. It means a close follower, a pupil, one who is a committed. Everybody say committed. Everybody say committed. 
One who is a committed follower. Being this one who is committed to being like the one he or she follows. This is what it means to be a disciple. A person who looks to another to discover their being. It is, and this is all of the Greek. A person who also calls other people to become followers of that which they also follow. So not only do, are they committed followers of Christ in their, uh, their, 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 their pattern, their entirety of their lives after Christ, but they also, in pursuing Christ, they are also uh, causing other people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. So this is, in essence, what discipleship is. So it is not just a thing. It is everything. It, it, it encapsulates everything that we are. And so Jesus here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus, um, he really, and we're just really, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, some of the words that I'll say to you today would be a little bit harsh. You may hear these words and you might think to yourself, man, I don't know if I can do that. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Uh, these are some very, very tough uh, some, some tough language that Jesus gives here. But the comfort that I have this morning is it is not, these are not my words. Uh, they're the words of Jesus. And all I'm going to do simply is expand on what Jesus said. And I know that sometimes that, that we read things in the Bible that's a little bit tough to swallow and we try to figure out ways to get around it and say, well, it really didn't mean that. But this particular passage of scripture, Jesus is actually uh, teaching on what discipleship is. He's actually going to sit back. He's going to say, okay, now I want to give you a true picture of what it really means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. What it looks like when somebody truly follows me. And he gives some very, very uh, tough parameters. But the reality of it, but the idea is that once we embrace what discipleship really is, then our lives will be changed. And when our lives are changed, we would then have a greater capacity to change others. How many know that we can't change others and, and help others to be what we are not? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, church? There, there's a hindrance there. If you're not that, then how can we inspire somebody else to be that? You follow me? So Jesus then he gives some very tough language. And now, now let's look at, let's kind of extrapolate or dissect this passage here in uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 down to verse number 33. So I'm just going to kind of pull some things out, some things that we can ponder, uh, some things that we can reemphasize this morning. The first thing Jesus says here, and I want, I want you to, to get this clearly. He says, if anyone comes to me, anyone. So watch this. This is not for the serious Christian. Because, you know, how many know that in, in Christianity, we, we, we have categories of Christianity. We got the folks who are serious over here. You got, to, you got the preachers and the leaders. They're a whole different people. And then a whole a separate people. Then you got the other folks over here who are really not so serious. They just kind of like, they just want to kind of be involved a little bit or they just want to kind of give a little bit. But, you know, they're, they're not really, they don't have any real desire to go all that deep with God. They, they just kind of just want to kind of be there, have a knowledge, you know, kind of thing and kind of leave all that other serious stuff to those who are more serious, you know, uh, you know, leave that to the preachers and the pastors and the, and the teachers. It's their job to study. My my, my job is just to, to hear them. And, 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 and this is this is the kind of categories that we, we we've kind of set in Christianity. But look what Jesus said. Jesus says that anyone, anyone means everyone. 
This is not a message just for serious-minded Christians, those who are going to seminary, those who are not. This is for everybody. He says, if anyone comes to me, all right? Now, look at this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So strong language. Because we hear that and, and everything inside of our heart. And we say, Man, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, my mother, right? My, my brothers, my sisters, my wife, my, my kids, you know? And Jesus goes right to the very thing that he knows that we love the most. Because here's the idea. Because we're not, Jesus is really communicating. He's not advocating. If anybody thinks that, they shouldn't think that. In this particular verse, Jesus is not advocating that, that we're to go and hate people. He's not saying that. What he's simply saying is that our love, man, for him must be so supreme that to others it may appear to be that way. But he says that, watch this, that we are to love him more than we love, watch this, any person or anything in this world. He says, because watch, he said, if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. Now, one might ask a question, which would be somewhat log logical. Um, you know, Lord, that, that's, I mean, how do we, how do you do that? Understand this. I was, you know, a lot of, a lot of us are, everybody in this room, to some extent, we're blessed. If you're blessed, say amen. amen. All right. Amen. And all of us enjoy good things in life. How many of you got some good things in life? Good people, good stuff. And, you know, and here's the problem. Whenever I begin to enjoy the finer things of life, whether it's my wife or whether it's my children or I'm thankful for my job, the first thing that I automatically default to, and here's the key, is I begin to thank and praise God. Why? Because he is the originator of it all. Right? So if he gave me, how many know that God does not give us things or give us relationships to pull us away from him? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, church? It is in when we put him first that everything else falls into place. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Now, now watch. Now watch it. So a better, you want a better marriage? Put Jesus first. You want better kids? Put Jesus first. You want a better finances? Put Jesus. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Because anytime that he is anything, if we love anything else more than him, then we're out of priority. Our priority is all screwed up. That's why Jesus said to Abraham, you remember, Abraham Take the one thing you love, the thing you've been waiting for for 25 years. I gave you a promise. I want you to take the son that I said is going to be the heir, that through him, all the nations and the families of the earth will be blessed. I want you to take him because I know you love him so much, and I want you to go and offer him as a sacrifice. And when Abraham was willing to do it, Abraham lifted up the blade, would have done it. God stopped him. And Abraham, God said to Abraham, said, now I know, I know I can trust you now. You're a man of faith. And how many know that God don't, whatever God takes away from us, he's given us so much more. Come on. See, we want better, but we don't want the, the way, the, 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 the avenue that God wants to give us. And it's amazing how that you listen to people and they're so confused in life and they don't quite get it. They don't quite understand. But so when Jesus is saying, if you, know, if you don't hate your brother, your sister, and the mother and all these things uh, uh, more than me, he said, you're not worthy of me. In other words, I am the originator of all life. All good things come from me. We are not called to love the 
creature more than the creator. And we live in a generation today that loves the creature more than they do the creator. And as a consequence, our, our, our whole system, our whole, our nation, even to some extent, the church is affected in a negative way because we don't understand this principle. Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. I wish he would have said it another way. I wish he would have said, well, you know, you, know, you, you could be my disciple, but, you know, it'd be tough or, you know, you're my disciple. But he says, if you're not at a place where you love me more than these. See, how many know that one of the things that we got to teach people when it comes to discipleship is that um, because Jesus knows. How many know that all of us love something? Amen. We love people. We love things. And when we say and we talk about discipleship in the biblical sense, Jesus comes now. He comes now to set things in order because the problem with our society today is out of order. Imagine a society that loved God first. Imagine a society that put God first to honor his word first. Imagine a society that was in love with God, the God, Jehovah, the God of the Bible. Imagine if everyone in society ran to worship. Imagine that every church on Sunday was filled to the capacity that there was not any room for people to even get in and sit down. Imagine what it would be. Life would be so much more different. So to be a true follower of Jesus means that he eclipses everything and everyone else in our life. That's not to say that we don't love those that God gives us because he calls us to love. He says that but we're to love him more. <laughs> We're to put them first because if you're not careful, people will get you in trouble. Y'all know, you know what I mean? And, and when we start loving people more than we start, and we put emphasis over that more than God, then there's a problem. And so we have to be very careful with that. Jesus says this. He also makes another point here in this particular passage in verse 27. He says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me can be my disciple. Many of us are aware of the fact that the cross is what the Romans used to punish and kill lawbreakers. The cross is some symbolic of pain, hardship, trials, difficulties. How many know that it's not always easy sometimes being a Christian? <laughs> Boy, it's not always easy walking with God. See, the idea is that, that if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to come to a place that we say, Lord, whatever it is that I got to go through, Lord, I'm willing to suffer. Even if I have to suffer, if I have to be laughed at, if I have to be ostracized, whatever it is, if, 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 if I got to give up some things. Because how many know that God is going to call us sometimes to give up some things, right? Some things that we like, some stuff that we love. <laughs> he's going to call us sometimes. And he said, every day we got to be willing, watch this church, to take up our cross. That cross sometimes is hard. That cross sometimes is painful, but we got to be willing to do whatever it takes to be the people that God wants us to be. Jesus says that if you're not willing to bear your cross, bear the shame. And how many know sometimes the cross, not only are you enduring suffering and pain and hardship, but even shame uh, to follow Christ. But Jesus says, you got to be willing to take up that cross. You got to be willing to do that. In Matthew 16, 24, he even says that he says that we got to take up this cross daily. How many know that it's a daily walk with God? Sometimes it's a, it, how many know that there are daily struggles with God? You know, you're trying to walk with God and there's some opposition from the inside. There's opposition from the outside. The enemy is fighting and trying to 
entice you or coerce you not to follow through, not to walk with God. So you're fighting, you're fighting the, the devil on the outside, you're fighting the demons on, on the inside, because how many know we all have some struggles down on the inside too that we got to deal with, if we're really honest? So to bear our cross means that we got to do what's necessary in order to please God. We have to be willing to go through being ostracized, being laughed at. We have to, must be willing to go through being even alone and being a loner for Jesus. Because this is what he called us to be. He calls us in verse 28 to down to verse 32. In fact, I want to read that, verse 28. Look at this. He talks about building. He says, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? At least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man begin to build, is not able to finish. But what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with the 10,000 to, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Jesus here is saying that if we want to be his true disciples, that we all must count the cost. Oh, count the cost. And we don't hear this said too often. We don't tell people what it really, really means to be a disciple of Jesus. But, but one of the things I always say is, and I heard Tony Evans say it, and I, just, I think it's just a wonderful statement. I think it's true, and I just always use it. But he says salvation is free, but discipleship is going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. It costs you the entirety of your life. No rational person, for an example, will make an investment without counting the cost. You know, if you have a large sum of money that you want to put into the stock market, everybody that, that, that I know that have a smidget of some sense, before they invest into anything, they do their homework. They want to make sure that what they're going to invest in. In other words, church, they count the cost. He's saying that this decision is, watch, the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. There is nothing more important in this world than where you will spend eternity. Nothing. Whether it's your kids' college, who you marry, your relationships, where you live, where you purchase. There's nothing in this world that is more important than where you will spend eternity. The most important decision a person will ever make, hands down. Hands down. Because the death ratio is one per person. Everybody gets there should the Lord tarry. And so understand this, church, that, that, that he's calling us. He says, look. Count the cost. In other words, he's, here's what he's saying. He said, if you're going to walk with me, and this is where a lot of people get sidetracked because we don't teach people this. And we, we, you know, we tell them to come up and we get them to say a few words. And we, tell them sit, we tell them sit down and, or we say, okay, go do a couple of things. And, but, but we don't really sit down and really tell them and say, okay, here's what it looks like, what it means to walk with God. And, you know, here's some things that it's going to cost you. Yes, it, it will probably cost you some relationships. And depending on your occupation, it may cost you some money. <laughs> I knew one brother who was, uh, and, and I won't go into detail because he might sniff it out, but he was in the wrong occupation. It was an occupation that did not honor God. And he took the bold step and said, I got to leave. I got to walk away. I got to walk away from it. And God blessed him. Because at the end of the day, church, we got to count the cost. It's going to, how many know that it will cost you? To truly be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to cost you sacrifice. It's going to cost you time. It will cost you money. It will cost you some relationships, not because you're out there 
uh, trying to wreak, uh, cause problems, but how many know that Jesus, by his very nature, got people upset by the fact of who he was? Jesus did not walk around trying to get people upset. And if you're the disciple of Jesus, you're not walking around trying to get people upset. But the fact that you're so committed, people will get upset at you. And you got to count the cost. It's going to cost you something. As I said a moment ago, it's more than just a verbal commitment. It's about understanding that this will radically change your life. It's about giving up some things. It's about losing some things. It's about sacrifice that perhaps you're not really wanting to do. But Jesus says that you got to count the cost. So we'll do well when we're communicating the gospel to people and have them sit down and say, okay, let me explain to you. It's, now, we're not talking about perfection because nobody is there. We're not talking about perfection. But to count the cost means, and this is why a lot of Christians, we'll see people come into church and they'll walk up and they'll give their life to Jesus, supposedly. And then, you know, they have a couple of rough patches and then you don't see them anymore. And one of the things I always ask myself is, did they truly count the cost? Because how many of you have jumped, jumped into something? Come on, be honest. You jumped into something. You didn't really count the cost and you realized, man, I ain't supposed to hit. I didn't want to do this. Man. I didn't expect this because the necessary homework wasn't done. The cost wasn't counted. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, count the cost. It's going to cost you something. It will not be easy. Yes, you will oftentimes be ridiculed. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, you will have to sacrifice. But that is what being a Christian is. A true disciple of Jesus is. It costs you things. It costs you some relationships because some people are not going to like what you're trying to do in Jesus' name. They're not going to like the fact that you're wanting to be serious about your relationship with God, but you must stay the course and trust God through the process. We must have a willingness to give it all up for Jesus. Look at verse number 33. And this is another one of these tough sayings that you hear and you think, gosh, man, I wish Jesus could have said this a different way. He says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, Look at that church. He says, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has. Here's what he says. Can I be my disciple? Now, Jesus here is not really saying that, uh, you know, we're to take like all the stuff that we have and just give it away or walk away from all of our accomplishments. What he's saying is those things that are outside of the parameter of what he established through his word and by his spirit. He says that we must be willing to give up everything. Whatever it is that God asks us to give up, we must be willing to do it. Um, Paul gave us a window into it when he said in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Listen to Paul. Paul had perfect words. He said, it, said this. He said, but what things were gained to me? You know, Paul had education. He had status. He had a lot of things. He said, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Watch this. Paul says, for whom I have suffered huh, the loss of everything. And I count them as rubbish. In other words, I don't even miss it that I might gain Christ. Paul says, man, here, here's what in my life. Paul says, the, the, the thing that motivates me, the thing that inspires me, the, things that get, the thing that gets me up in the morning is knowing Christ. 
That's what he's saying. He's saying, man, Paul's, Paul's a man, I'm willing to give it all. And he said, I was going in one direction, but then when Christ came into my life, it's not necessarily that I gave up, I didn't, I didn't enjoy some of the things of life, but, it, but, but, but my focus shifted to now I'm serving the interests of Christ, and this has become the most important thing to me. Whereas before, maybe your education was the most important thing to you. Maybe the stuff you had was the most important thing to you. Maybe certain relationships was the most important thing to you. Well, Paul is saying that now that I have Christ, Christ is most important to me. He's the most important thing in my life. I love him more. And Paul said, I've lost everything. I'm willing to give it up for the call of what God has called me to do. Whatever it is God has called me to do, I'm, really, I'm ready to give it up. That's why I say that we must always hold the things of this world loosely because you never know what God may require. And the question is, if, you, if you're really, if he's really master, when he requires it, then you respond to it. You obey him when, if, if he calls to do so. So, so he says that you got to be willing to give up everything, to forsake everything for him. As I said before, this is not a casual relationship, church. This is bona fide discipleship. And, and somebody who probably is either listening or watching this message is probably thinking to himself, this is way too much. But how many of you know this is Bible? I'm simply reading to you what the word of God says. But, but, I, but we're going to take it further. So I like to call this a great exchange. So Jesus said this. Now watch. Here's, here's what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Listen to this verse. And this is the equalizer. This is what kind of gives you uh, the understanding that God loves you more than, how many of you believe that God loves you more than anything else? And God, God loves you. What? How many know that God wants what's best for you? He wants that. He, God loves you more than you love yourself. He cares deeply for you and I. He really does. So he's going to tell us the truth so that we can be set free and really enjoy life as he intended. God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to have a wonderful time serving the interests of God. I don't understand how some Christians can be serving God and be mad at the same time. I never can quite get that. When you've under, come on, church, when you've understood all that what God has done for us, how many know that it's an honor and a privilege to serve the interests of God? It really is. I'm glad. I, there's a scripture in the Bible that said, I think David said, I'd rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Just let me be in the vicinity. Of God's presence. That's all I want. He says in verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life, watch this now, will lose it. Everybody say will. He says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, that doesn't seem right, does it? He's saying, okay, if you really want life, life eternal and life to the fullest, Jesus said, I came to give you life and I came to give you life more abundantly. Abundantly means to the full and overflowing. That's what Jesus wants to give us. He wants us. It's like a parent that knows what's best for their kids, right? Their kids think that this is the right way. That this, but you as a parent, you are always going to, if you're a good parent, you're always going to do what's best for your child. You don't let your child lead you because your children, they, they, are, they have limited knowledge and limited understanding. Come on, parents, you can say amen to that. And so if you really love your child, you're going to give them what's best for them, right? Good parents always do what's best for the kids, not what they want, because what they want oftentimes is not always what's good for them. But you, God has given you wisdom. 
God has given you understanding. And so you as a parent, then you're going to always do what's best. Jesus said, now you being earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give good things to them who love him? How much more? And so Jesus then says, and watch. He said, now if you want to save your life, lose it. Give it up. So if you really want to have a life full that is fulfilling and joyful and enthusiastic and exciting, he said, if you really want life, then he says, give up the one that you got. Oh, and how many know that all of us, to some extent, we are afraid of the unfamiliar? <laughs> you know, we, we, how many know we were born, like David said, we were born in sin? The problem with sin is sometimes it's, 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 it's comfortable. You know, living in sin because I'm familiar with this. I know about this. But God, you're asking me to give up something that I've been accustomed to all my life. I grew up living this way. I grew up being this way. I grew up doing it this way. God, you want me to give that? He's give up, give up your whole life. He said, now here's the thing. He said, now when you give that their whole life, when you stop trying to live in two worlds, one foot in and one foot out. That's my athletic stand. He said, so when you're trying to live in two different worlds, he said, when you come to a place where you say, you know what, I'm going to give it up. I know that everybody else, you know, I look at the TV, I look at media, I look at all these the movies. I know everybody is doing it this way, and this seems normal and natural to me. I've had people say that to me. Yeah, natural means it's your flesh. But Jesus said, give up your fleshly appetites and watch, and then come and follow me. Here's, what he, here's the great exchange. He says, so in so doing then, he says, when you give up your life, then you'll find it. Ain't that wonderful? So he, he's, saying, he's, saying, he's saying that what I have for you is better. How many believe that what God has for us is better? So he said, so if you really want to find your life, give up the one that you got. Give it up. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Well, then you can never, ever experience the fullness of the glory of the life that God has for you until you come to that place. And trying to hold on to parts and areas of our lives, that causes conflict and unhappiness. Remember I said earlier that we become in conflict because uh, Christ demands more than we're willing to give. And until a Christian is willing to give it all up to Jesus, they're always going to have some level of conflict in their soul. Your soul won't really rest until you fully surrender. We sang that song this morning, I surrender. I surrender all to you. That's what it's all about. God, I'm surrendering all. Don't be afraid. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go all the, don't be afraid to give it all to Jesus. Don't be, a, don't, be a, don't be scared to go all the way. Or as we say in the country, scored. Don't be scared to go all the way with Jesus. As I said before, whatever you want better, give it to Jesus. Whatever you want better in your life, go with Jesus. I want to drive home this next point, and then I'm, I'm closing. Jesus, I just wanted to, to echo this because this is an important part of this message, is that we live for Jesus and not for ourselves. And, uh, and, and I would venture out to say that this is not something that's often taught. Um, I, I'm willing to bet you that you can probably search the Internet. You won't find a whole lot of teaching on the principle that I'm, I'm sharing with you this morning because it's not popular because, quite frankly, it'll run some Christians out of church. <laughs> you know, they be like, I ain't trying to do all that. You're radical. You're crazy, Pastor, talking about going all the way with Jesus and just fully surrender. I mean, that's crazy talk. Why do I need to fully surrender? I mean, come on, that's, that's crazy. I, I have to have some control. How many of you feel like you have to have some control of your life? Come on, be honest. 
Look at Diva back there laughing. Yeah, you feel like in your, I got to have some control. Jesus, I'll give you the will to an extent. But there's some of these turns on this road, Lord. I would like to kind of do that myself. And God says, no, I need you to get, in fact, get out of the passing seat. I need you to sit in the back. I don't even want you to have, you can't even put your hands near the wheel. Oh, that's when you really get uncomfortable. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14 through 15. Jesus says, for the love of Christ compels us, talking about not living for ourselves, but living for Christ, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. <laughs> and he died for all. First of all, when we came to Christ, all of us died, supposedly. You came to Christ, you died. And, and he died for all. That, watch this. That those who should live no longer for themselves, watch this, no longer for ourselves. In other words, before I came to Christ, here's how it was. Let me give you kind of a, the best example I could possibly give you. So before I became a believer uh, in Christ, I did things based on whatever I felt like doing. So however I wanted to do it. So if I wanted to go someplace, whether it was school, whether it was college, whether it was a relationship, whether it was a financial decision, I didn't see God. I did not spend no time talking to God about that. In fact, I might have talked to God after the fact when I got in trouble, because that's what a lot of people do. People who ain't even saved do that, don't they? When they get in trouble, man, they break down on their knees and Lord, they, you know. But that's, that, was the, that was the extent of my Christianity. So, well, watch. So I didn't seek God. I didn't, I didn't try to understand what his will was for my life because I already decided that I was going to live my life and do, the way, do it the way I want. Now, there's a lot of Christians that are still living that way, but they won't be honest and say it. You know, but, 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 but Jesus is saying, watch this, that we are no longer to live for ourselves, but to live for him who died and rose again. So watch, as a practical matter, how we're supposed to do this thing is that, that we're supposed to seek his direction all the time. Lord, I, I really like this person. I would want to marry this person. Should I marry this person? God, I really like this job. And everything in my heart and soul and spirit tell me I like it. But Lord, I need you to give me some direction. Lord, you know, I, I really think my kid ought to go to this school. But Lord, can you please give me some? Lord, I really like this church. But Lord, can you tell me what church you want me to go? Lord, I mean, y'all follow what I'm saying? The whole idea now is that I get my cues from heaven. I no longer live for myself. So I just don't get up in the morning and just go do my own thing and then consult God later when, uh, you know. And, and you know how, uh, you know, I've always said this and, you know, we, we, we've become good at saying the old cliche in church, when somebody asks something of us or anything like that, you know, we got this good old thing. Man, let me pray about it. Um, brother, can you help me take the trash out? Yeah, brother, let me pray about that one, man, because I don't know the Lord might not call me. You know, let, let me, let me uh, uh, brother, brother, can you help me? I need a ride. Well, let me, let me, let me pray about that. How do you know that we don't need to pray about something God already said we ought to do? <laughs> We've used this term, pray about it, as a cover to really do what we want to do. That's what we're, because we've, a lot of times before we come to God, can we be honest? We've already determined in our minds what we're going to do before we pray. And then, and then so when somebody, and, and you got to say the prayer, because if somebody want to come to you and say, did you pray about it? You got to be able to say, I prayed about that thing. So yeah, oh yeah, you go through the obligatory motion of praying, but how many know prayer is more than just uttering words? It is coming to God with an attitude of absolute and total surrender to say, Lord, it's an objective mind to get down on the knees and say, Lord, this is what I want to do, but will you, Lord, show me? We don't want to do that because God may require some hard stuff, and we're not quite ready. 
But let me tell you something, church. If you lose your life for him, you'll gain it. You gain his power. You gain his grace. And how many know that we want the grace of God? We want the God's favor. So if we want God's favor. Then you know what it is? If God requires me to do something that in my flesh I don't like, I don't want to do, so be it. I'm going to go that direction. But, but how many know that we got to be honest with God? God knows our heart. Because we don't live for ourselves anymore. That's not the call. If you're still living for yourself, you're still praying, you're still doing things and making your own decisions and then kind of using religious words to kind of validate what you want to do. Church, then we're still lost to some extent. We still haven't figured it out yet. It's an attitude that says, Lord, I mean, objectively, Lord, will you please show me what you want me to do? God, will you show me? There have been a lot of times I prayed and I asked God, and I mean, you know, and it's like there's some things I would like to do. In my, my, my own self. And uh, I've had things I'd like to do. And then I go to God and I pray about it. And God says no. And it makes me upset sometimes. And I just know in my spirit. How many know in your spirit when God says no about something? You just know. And, and everything, everything on the outside looks like it's a green light. But internally inside it's like mm, God is really saying no. But and then if you're not careful you talk yourself into it. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, and when you talk yourself into a God, it'd be like, okay, that's what you want. Go ahead. He'll let you go. You know, um, you remember the children of Israel? We want a king. God says, no, I'm your king. No, nah, we want a king like all the other nations. Okay. All right. If that's what you want, go ahead. Go ahead. You can have your king. Go ahead. Have it. You got your Saul. Go ahead. You have it. And God has just got to give you what you want because you want it. He's never going to force himself. This is where we got to be careful because we say, well, the door open up. Well, you just want to be sure that it didn't open up because God, I mean, because God just kind of just stepped out of the way and said, okay, that's what you want. Go ahead. You know, and they, well, I got an open door. No, you got to, that's a trap. Be careful. All I'm saying is be objective and be true in your heart and seek God and ask him for real. God, what do you want? If you live your life like that on a regular, you'll hear God better. And you'll know what moves to make. And I suggest that people who don't live this way on a regular basis, they cannot discern the voice of God. They say, you know, what? listen, and this is where you got to be honest. If you know you're not seeking God on a regular basis, if a Christian knows, if you know that you don't you spend very little time in prayer, you don't, you, you don't consult with God like we just described here in the word, that you, you're not seeking, like, then what you need to do is be bold enough and say, well, you know what? I need to go talk to somebody else who is. <laughs> And can, you, can I get you to pray with me? Because, because, because you, know, I, you know, because, and I've had people do this because, because you got to understand something. If you're not walking with God on a consistent basis, you're not able to discern what it is he's really saying. You're not seeking him. But so, so what I do, what I, what I encourage people, what I encourage people to do is, look, if you're that person and you know you're not seeking God and you're not a full-fledged, surrendered disciple, then find somebody else to help you. Brother, sister, can, I, can we pray? Because I need to hear God in this. Go find somebody who you know is walking with God. But whatever you, because the bottom line is, if you've been living for yourself, you're not going to be able to hear him the way you need to hear him. Because your whole decision making will be based on your own experience with living and living out of your own decision making process. And so we got to be careful with that. Uh, Colossians 3, 1, and then we're going to close with this. We're going to prepare for communion. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, verses 1 down to verse number 3. Jesus said this, or, or the Apostle Paul said in Colossians, he said, If then you were raised with Christ, in other words, you gave your life to him, you lived for him, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affection on things 
uh, not on things on the earth. See, that's what he says. Not on things of the earth. Don't put your don't love things of the earth too much. Don't set your affections on those things. They're temporary. For you died. Now, a lot of Christians, they don't understand that, that process. Okay, when you came to Christ, you die. See, this is what we got to tell people. One of the things, when you, listen, if you're going to lead somebody to Christ, watch this. Say this to them and watch them flip out. Just say to them, say to them, say, look, are you ready to die? <laughs> Before you say a percentage prayer with them, say, look, I want you to understand something. You're about ready to die. Are you, this is what I'm asking you right now that you're going to die and give up your life to follow Christ. Are you ready to die? Some of them will look at you, they head their head bow, and then as soon as you say that, eyes pop up, they're like, hold up, wait a minute, they'll, they'll do one of these on you. Like, what are you trying to pull me into? Because that's what it really means to be a Christian. And this is why a lot of people, this is why a lot of people who are not there, because they didn't really die. It's dying that we get life. It's dying to ourselves. He says, set your mind, your affection on things not on the earth, but things above. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if you want to know what your life is, you want to know, get some direction in your life, you want to understand what it's all about, then go to God. Go to Christ because you died. If you died, then you got to get life from him because you, you can't be living and trying to serve Christ. One is one or the other. Either die and let Christ live through you or you stay alive and you'll be in opposition. But if you die, then you only have Christ to consult. Because you're a dead man. And if you live your life like that, then you'll experience true life. This church is the essence of discipleship. It means to die to yourself and to follow Christ. And to the extent that we can get people to understand that, then they'll stop being in and out of the world, stop playing these little games in and out of church because we are not teaching them right. We're not communicating right. So you got people been saved 5, 10, 15 years and were never taught the basics of discipleship. They don't understand this. And so when you say this to them, it's like a foreign language because they never heard. Nobody ever talked to them this way. It's like they just, that's just old fashioned. No, that's, that's Bible. This is why, how many know we read the stories about the apostles and the stuff they did? And you know, some of them died, I mean, being boiled in uh, oil and all the stuff. They gave up their life. I mean, you can't, you don't give up your life for something you didn't die for already. See, they died. They died. They, before they died physically, they died spiritually, which enabled them to die physically. That's why they went through all of that. That's why they did it. So we're not until we get there. We're always going to struggle. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Father, in the name.